We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the NBA front office show. My, oh, my. Coming off of a holiday weekend, we have so much to talk about today. I'm looking at our our show topics, and it is just packed. This is going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to get into it all. I'm Trevor Lane. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane. On Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. Joined by Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA. Keith, are you still just riding high right now at this point? Are you you're just you probably haven't even come down yet, right? No, not really. Yeah, it's uh, it was something I told you on uh, Mon- Sunday night into Monday morning. I think I finally fell into bed around 3 4 o'clock in the morning um, after wrapping everything up that I've been doing uh, post the Celtics uh, uh, making it to the finals. And then uh, right back at it all day yesterday, I was doing stuff. And then all day today, it'll, it'll continue. You know how it goes once you're if you cover a team when they make it, then everybody wants to talk to you, right? Because everybody wants a, the inside scoop on that team and all that sort of stuff. But it's a, that is not a complaint. That is a, a labor of love comment, very, very much so. Uh, I even broke out the 2008 champion shirt uh, for you, especially. Oh, I, know, thank I, you. I know that's one of your most favorite NBA finals. Um, so I, I wore that. But also because it fits. It, 14 years later, this shirt still fits. So I'm uh, I'm kind of proud of that, too, that, that nice. I've uh, uh, gotten back into a place where I can wear 14-year-old T-shirts. So we'll, we'll take it. Well, Keith, you know, full full disclaimer, I am hoping and praying that somehow the Warriors save us from the dark times. Uh, but as I've been saying for months now, I fully expect the Celtics to win uh, because this is the worst Lakers season in history. And therefore, <laughs> that's the only way that this can possibly um, end or come to a conclusion, but I will say say this: as as much as I am living in my own hell at this moment, I am still so so thrilled for for you. I I am so happy that I get to come on here and and talk with you every day. We get to come on here and talk basketball. I'll consider you a, a good friend, and uh, and so I'm so thrilled to see you get to to enjoy this moment. So I'm so torn because because I get to <laughs> I get to be happy for you. But at the same time, just just be absolutely gutted. It, it is it's it's odd. It's an odd mindset. I've been answering this question a lot, where people are like, "Yo, for you personally, is this enough?" And to to have made it, and party wants to say, "Yeah, you know, they 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 get over the hump, and this is still, you know, all things considered, a pretty young team that's uh, under contract most of these guys for a while." But then part of me is like, "But." You, there's no guarantee that you'll ever get back. You know, you, you don't know. So you want to take advantage every time you're there. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm torn on that part of it. Uh, 
you know, once the ball tips, no, I'm going to 100% be, you know, go get that, go get banner 18, like stop messing around, you know, take advantage. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how we feel in a couple weeks when everything's all wrapped up. But yeah, and I'll tell you this too. I am incredibly thankful for the additional days off between um, just about every game of the series minus games three and four. Um, you just need them for recovery to write, to recover, to be you know, ready to go uh, following, you know, everything that happens in the finals. It's just nonstop. And then those nine o'clock starts, which are really closer to nine 15 starts um, that that all just take, takes a little longer. And, I don't know if people really notice or ever knew this. I know you probably do from the Lakers being there so many times, but all the commercial breaks are a little bit longer yep. too. Um, so that, that, that also factors in as the well. Three hour games. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It turns into exactly that almost a three hour game. But again, these are not complaints. These are just laying it out there and yeah, we're, we're, we're excited. So um, you want to talk about the series a little bit, and then we can get in into all the just news? a moment before before we get to it. I have to know. Sure. Give me your your thoughts on this. Uh, everybody's been talking about this. Jimmy Butler was that the wrong decision to shoot that shot, and how did you feel when the shot was in the air? <laughs> I'll answer the second part first. <laughs> when it was in the air. My legit thought was not again. <laughs> like I was just instant. Like I I I went to a dark place in that. I don't know millisecond half right, and, and that's it but you go there but in that moment it feels like that moment lasts forever oh while the that shot, shot was in the air for no less than five minutes yeah no one will ever convince me otherwise <laughs> um you know and then by the time they get the rebound secured that was like a 30 minute process right um it was legit probably about a second and a half um at i don't have any problem with the shot um they were in a position where I think Jimmy Butler knew they didn't have anything left. So playing for exactly. overtime, I, I don't know that they they were going to get there. I mean, a bunch of the guys on the Heat were kind of dragging themselves up up and down the court, including Jimmy Butler. I th think this was that was Game Seven was the first real time that the Celtics, being younger and less banged up, showed up. Um, you know, in, in that series. So I think that is um, you know something to factor in there too. Why, why he took that. I know he's not normally a good three-point shooter. He shoots them well in the playoffs for whatever reason that is. Um, you know, that he gets dialed in. So I don't I don't really have an issue with him taking that shot at that time. Because I also I know the people were screaming and yelling about he should have drove on Horford. He might have got a three-point play that way. They're not, I mean, Horford would have had to wipe him out completely for them to call a foul the way they were calling that game. Yeah. You know what? When I when I look at that moment, I think as the, the shot was going up. I thought at first that he was going to drive, that he was going to attack. And then when he pulled up, before, as the shot's in the air, the first thought that went into my head was, this is the driveway shot. This is the shot that you've been taking since you were a kid at the, you know, sitting in your driveway, five, four, three, two, one, to, to go to the NBA finals, to win it, right? Like that's, that's that shot. I don't blame Jimmy Butler for, for taking that shot. And like you said, given where the team was at, I think strategically it might even have been the, the right decision, even though people will say, well, but he's not a good three-point shooter. You don't take the, you know, playing for overtime, I don't think would have been great. You can't assume Horford's going to foul him because people say, oh, he could have gotten and one. You can't assume Horford was going to foul him. You can't even assume that it was a hundred percent chance he was going to score if he attacked yeah. the basket because it's certainly not. So I, I don't fault him for, for going for the win there. And, um, and who knows? It, it might not have, and there was still time left on the clock. So it might not have, have even been the win. But um, 
anyway, wanted to get your your opinion on it and see. Uh, yeah, move on. I guess the last thing I'll say too is, if you're gonna say it was the wrong shot, you need to say it was the wrong shot if he made it too. Yeah, because the the process doesn't change there. Um, it's just the result, and you know I get it. We're we're results oriented world, yeah. um, but sometimes you know the process is just as important as the result. But oh, overall, yeah, I have no issue with, with that shot at all, especially all right. that it didn't go in. Then really <laughs> now now you really have no issue with it. <laughs> all right, let's get into our first topic of the day: Celtics and Warriors in the finals. Um, this is going to be an interesting matchup. It's going to be, they played twice this year, obviously, East and West. The Warriors won one, it was close. The Celtics won one, it was a blowout, but it, it was later in the season. Um, I don't know. I mean, I looked at the last series, and I, I remember you and I had this discussion before Heat versus Celtics. I said, does it really just come down to, is Jimmy Butler better than, than Jason Tatum, or is Jason Tatum better than Jimmy Butler? I thought Jimmy Butler was the best player in the series. Didn't end up mattering. They ended up, up losing the series. Not that Tatum was not good. I just thought Jimmy Butler was, was great. He was, he was fantastic. Um, I think Steph Curry is the, is the big factor and, and maybe it's easy to say that, but what he does, I think is going to be particularly critical because I don't know what you can get out of clay in this series, what you're going to get out of Andrew Wiggins. Are they going to be able to even come close to treading water against Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum? I don't know. And to me, that puts a lot on Steph Curry to be great. Um, especially knowing he's going to be going up against Marcus Smart, there's going to be some real cha- real challenges here for the Warriors in this matchup. Yeah, I think one of the advantages that the Celtics have is throughout this playoff run, um, which you can say the Warriors have all the experience and everything from their core group. Uh, this is their sixth finals in eight years, and that's to me that's more of like a career accomplishment thing, and I'm not taking anything away from them. But this particular season these two teams Celtics have been through way more in the, in the playoffs they they beat the Nets they swept them but it was still that's the Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and all the star power under the sun in Boston you'll get through them then it was Giannis in the box and that was a completely different kind of challenge they got through that and then mm-hmm. then the heat um and for all that Jimmy Butler was great the big biggest thing for the heat was their defense they, they were so physical and you know really you know, pounded boston over and over and over again that i think that is that running that gauntlet has them prepared more so than i think the warriors kind of path was a little bit easier right they sure. a very banged up and limited nuggets team a, a grizzlies team without john morant for part of the series and they weren't really you know, fully up to, to the to the task. And then in the West Finals, it was, you know, Luca and maybe some guys will make some shots, but more often they didn't. So I, I think I think that is something that is balanced for the Celtics better because I think the Warriors have been sitting longer and resting longer. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna come in with I think the Celtics, they're not gonna have the rust factor coming in, right? We always talk rest versus rust. Sure. But I think it's also when the Warriors get that first look at the way the Celtics play defense versus any of the teams they've already played against, it's just completely different than what they've seen to this point in the playoffs. And I do think that gives Boston a little bit of an advantage in this series. It's um, I've said it before, the Celtics in terms of their roster makeup, it reminds me of the 1920, 2019-2020 Lakers and, and kind of just the we're going to be bigger, faster, stronger than you, and that's how we're, we're going to win games and we're going to make your life hell on the defensive end of the floor. Um, I think that Curry's going to be, I mean, the, the Warriors essentially to win this, the Warriors need clay to be clay for probably at least three games. 
Um, you need him to, I mean, we're talking really high percentage shooting from him. You need Curry to be great most nights. Um, and then I'm really intrigued, Draymond versus Al Horford. What is that? And I know they're not directly going to be guarding. There's going to be switches. There's all sorts of things mm-hmm. happening there. But in terms of how they make an impact, they're not the same, but there's some similarities there that I think it's going to make for a fascinating battle. Now, I think Draymond is overall the, the more impactful player, but Al Horford playing the way he has been, it's not far off. And you could say that Horford makes a bigger impact perhaps on the offensive end of the floor with the, with the shooting that he can bring. He was a little bit hot and cold in the in the Heat series, but mm-hmm. I still am intrigued by that particular battle, Horford versus Draymond. I think who is a more impactful player night in and night out in that matchup is going to matter. And then do we get the, the same version of Kevon Looney that we saw in this last series? Because if we do, that could be a big difference maker as well. If we get the Kevon Looney that we've been seeing for a while, um, that's just that's just a solid big and not great like he was last series, that's going to be a, a big factor as well. Yeah, in my preview of this series for Celtics blog, which posted earlier today on Tuesday, um, I – one of the things I started it out with is we got to kind of throw out the traditional position stuff to some extent, Mm -hmm. because both of these teams are going to switch a lot. They're going to play a lot of different guys. Everybody's going to kind of, if you can't guard in this series, you probably can't really play. That was another thing I was going to ask. Can Jordan pool pool play in this series? Yeah. He may struggle to stay on the floor at times. I think, um, and that's, again, why maybe give Boston a slight advantage because they don't have any real bad defenders. Well, the Warriors have a couple guys they'll put out there that, that you can go at a little bit, um, including Stephen Curry, who's never been as bad a defender as people made him out to be. But he's still, of their starting group, he's the weakest defender. And he's probably going to be on most nights, probably one of the two or three worst defenders on the floor. Now that says a lot more about how good all the other guys are, um, but you can go at them a little bit. But I think if, if we rebalance here and relook at this, the way I do think to some extent traditional position breakdowns is the way because that's how the defensive matchups will at least start out. I think it's going to be Curry on Smart, Smart on Curry, Thompson on Brown, Brown on Thompson, mm-hmm. Tatum on Wiggins, Wiggins on Tatum, Horford Green, and then Looney and ideally, hopefully, Robert Williams. Um, Doka said today on Rob Williams' health update, um, he's good. He feels pretty good, and it didn't look like he felt pretty good during game seven. No, he was really like dragging himself up and down the floor, but the extra days off here and then the extra day in between games um, is there's two days off again, except for games three and four um, that's big as well. So I think what we're looking at here is it's going to be, how can guys win those individual matchups? And I think Curry clay just a little bit better than smart and Brown. And that's because Curry's better than smart, but smart is, Probably the if you had to say any one defender you want to put on Steph, it would probably be Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Brown's enough better than Clay now because Clay's just not the same guy defensively. That's yeah, that's not. the only part of his game that's really slip, right? He's still the shooter, still the off ball mover. He just can't really move defensively the way he used to. But then you flip into the forward line, and I think Tatum's enough better than Andrew Wiggins, and I think Horford Green is closer to even. So that flips Boston's way. And then the rest becomes are what happens between the benches, the coaches, uh, the center spot, you know, that mm-hmm. all, you know, starts to go crazy. I think one major, major key to this series is turnovers. 
both of these teams have these these games and halves where they throw the ball all over the gym. And it's whoever can control that a little bit more and take advantage of the turnovers they get. That's going to be massive game to game. Yeah, I, I think that is going to be a, a big key in this one. And it's something people overlook. If you if you look at it just from a math standpoint, if you're generating about one point per possession, probably a little bit less in the in the playoffs. But usually we talk about you you generate about one point per per possession math wise. Um, if that's the case, then every time you turn the ball over, just take a point off off of your score. That's essentially yeah. what, what you're doing. You're taking a point away. Not to mention that if it's a live ball turn, turnover, you're giving your opponent a possession in which their average points per possession is going to go way up. So it's a big swing. A turnover really is. Particularly a live ball turnover is essentially it's a minus one for you and could be uh, you know plus a point and a half or so for your opponent each time. So every turnover, as easy as it is to say, oh, okay, it was a turnover, the action's fast, and you get right back into it. It's actually a really big moment in every game, every single time the ball is turned over. Again, dead ball turnovers being being different, but a live ball turnover can be really, really costly. So who takes care of the ball, I think, will be really important. And I'm curious to see what the Warriors rotation is going to look like. You know, I mentioned before, Jordan Poole, 28 minutes last series, averaged 28 minutes against the Mavs. If he can't be on the floor without getting switch hunted to death, who do the Warriors turn to? Right. Yeah. Assuming, I mean, if Kevon, because if the Celtics go small and they don't have Robert Williams, which they might not anyway. So if they don't have Robert Williams on the floor and you're running Draymond as your center, which is fine, who's on the floor? If you can't put Jordan, Jordan Poole out there, is Gary Payton the second back enough to where mm -hmm. he can be in that mix? Are you going to trust Jonathan Kaminga? Is it, is it Bielitsa that you're putting out there to get a little bit more size at, it becomes a, a I think big it becomes player. Otto Porter Jr. probably more than any of those guys if but he's healthy dealing with his own injuries. That's exactly. that's what I'm what I'm getting to yeah. is Otto Porter Jr. would be the guy, but he's been dealing with his own series of injuries. So if yeah. he's not a full go and you can't trust Jordan Poole, things get very interesting for the Warriors very, very quickly there. Uh, but again, a lot of that depends upon the health of, of Otto Porter Jr. and that that foot. Yeah, it's it it's I by no means, even though I said I think the Celtics have advantages in a couple spots, this is going to be a super tight series. I think it's going to be a lot lower scoring than maybe the casual fan will think. Because mm -hmm. I think people think Warriors and they think high score. they're flying up and down. They score a million points. They don't really push pace all that much. They play about at a league average pace. Um, their offensive rating this year was actually fairly poor. Um, they, they were down, uh, I want to say, 12th or 13th in the league uh, this season in offense. And some of that's injury-related, but a lot of that is they're you know still pretty dependent on the jump shots going down. Um, mm -hmm. And if they're not, they, they can struggle at times. But their defense is great. Boston's defense is great. And that, to me, says it's probably going to be a lot of lower-scoring games, a lot of close games. And those turnovers, just to, to your point about how much they can mean scoring-wise, they become a huge value just to, to have those possessions versus not have them. Um, empty possessions are going to be killer in this series because I don't because you just don't know where you're going to be, uh, you know, possession count-wise for scoring opportunities. So, yeah, I I think it's going to be a great series. I think we're in for an absolutely great finals. And I, and I say this, I, I, I'm trying to keep the bias out of it. I think Golden State would have absolutely destroyed Miami because I just don't think Miami's defenders would have been able to 
keep up with the Warriors' offensive players. The Celtics will have to make fights. Yeah, exactly. The, you, what will happen is the Celtics will play into your physical style a little bit because mm-hmm. they want to get to the basket. They want to get inside. They want to do those things. The Warriors are just going to run you around. And, I mean, yeah. after watching Kyle Lowry for seven games, who is he chasing on the Warriors? He's not chasing anybody. Like, you can barely move. Yeah. Um, so, I, I just I, I think if you're a casual fan, you win in this because you've got – in my opinion, the two best teams in the league this year going at it. We don't usually get that um, in the finals. There's usually one of one of the two doesn't necessarily show up. Something happens to knock them out. Suns fans are so angry right now with you, Keith. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Agree <laughs> at your own team. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, I think the Suns were objectively the best team over the course of the regular season, not yep. just record-wise, but but come playoff time, yes, these, these have been the yeah. two best playoff teams. We um, forget, too, the Warriors were right there with the Suns were. until Draymond got hurt and then Steph got hurt. And then, you know, then they basically kind of said, all right, forget trying to even get a top two seed yep. down the stretch. It was, you know, let's just be healthy. And like, clearly that, that paid off and worked. Um, let's also, one thing, too, one last mm-hmm. thing. Um, for all the screaming and yelling about the regular season doesn't matter and blah, 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 because neither number one seed is there. Well, it does still matter because the Warriors, uh, you know, got to a position where by playing it out at the end um, and winning a couple more games, they finished ahead of Boston. They get the home mm-hmm. court advantage. Miami had home court advantage in game seven and ultimately didn't end up mattering, but it could have. So just, you know. Before we get too deep into, you know, the people like to scream, see, this is why regular season doesn't matter. Eh, it still still does matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. Um, just to put a bow on it, the Warriors are the minus 155 favorite as of five hours or so ago. That was and that's been five. going all over the place. Yeah, yeah, and that, now and it that's seems like it's settling thing. between 150 and 160. Yeah, that, that's going to shift and, and everything. But as of right now, it looks like the Warriors are, are the favorites going in. I don't know if I agree with that, but they are right now the, the favorite. All right, let's all do right. it. Let's do a prediction. Okay. Let's get yours uh, first. I've been been saying it. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to say we get a long and we get an exciting finals, and I'm going to somehow hope that that Golden State saves us from the darkness, uh, and that uh, I'm going to say Warriors in seven. Steph Curry gets the opportunity that Jimmy Butler had and knocks it down, um, and then and then well and then I will be stressed as possible, but at least relieved with the outcome. And who's your finals MVP? Uh, Curry. Curry, 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 Curry will finally get that, that finals MVP. Yeah. If the Warriors win, I think it's Warriors in seven, two, but I'm picking Celtics in six. 
I think they can go on the road and get get a win, maybe even two wins. They, I'm sure you've seen the stat, but I'll put it out there. In the Steve Kerr era, so these eight eight years where they've made the finals in six times uh, in those eight years, Boston is 9-7 and seven against the Golden State Warriors, the only team in the NBA with a winning record against the Warriors uh, during the, this year stretch. Um, and I believe they've also, of those nine, I think five or six of those wins have come in uh, the Bay Area because they've obviously moved um, arenas to, in that time. So they, they've done quite well uh, their, their, their winning games. And that was sometimes with even you know far lesser talented teams uh, than the Warriors. That they, they And we've seen now they've already got seven wins on the road in this playoffs, including three um, against Miami. So and hopefully they learn their lesson of, yeah, maybe let's try to close it out at home if we get the, the opportunity. Let's not let's not do game sevens. But this team's kind of mantra now has been nothing easy, and we don't want it that way. So yep. we'll see. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle. Uh, no blowouts, please. Yeah, we could just put that request in now. Well, no, please, no blowouts. <laughs> yeah. Just- Oh my the basketball God. fan in me does not want blowouts either. The Celtics wow. fan in me says, ah, if Boston can engineer at least a couple, I'll, I'll happily live with it. But you know what? Even if it even if it's close and then they they turn it up in the last two minutes in coast, then I'd be okay with that too. I would be okay with I just with don't need any more ball well. in the air moments to decide games. That's, <laughs> that's too stressful. <laughs> All right, let's get into some news. We are 20 20- some odd minutes into this show. We haven't gotten into our news yet. So let's let's get there. Um, let's, let's just do this. Let's jump over. We haven't talked about it yet since it happened uh, over the weekend. We did have the three-day holiday weekend. Uh, Darvin Ham to the Lakers. The Lakers made their decision Friday. In fact, right before the game, they uh, they announced it. Uh, well, they didn't announce it. Woj and Shams announced it. The Lakers still haven't said anything official. But no. um, as of this moment, could be coming any moment right now. But uh, Darvin Ham will be the next head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. It's the person that most Lakers fans were in support of, given the the trio that was remaining. Terry Stotts, Kenny Atkinson, Darvin Ham being that that group. Uh, most preferred Darvin Ham. The reaction around the NBA was very, very positive. We saw a lot of people wishing him well and saying that he deserved this opportunity. Giannis took to Twitter and said that as well. So um, I think while he might not be the big name that some fans were expecting going into this process, I think that he was probably the the best option available, and uh, he's got a, a tall task ahead of him, a lot to handle. But uh, uh, you know, I, I think the Lakers, process wise and everything, did what we hoped they would do, and uh, and landed on I think a really good candidate here. Now, here's where we can switch roles uh, for for this topic. Uh-huh. I'm mad because I think the Lakers made the best hire that they could, and, and I'm not happy about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be quite frank, um, I I liked. The idea of Darvin Ham getting his shot, I just wanted it to be somewhere else. But uh, all that, you know, personal stuff aside, great for Darvin Ham. He's, you know, very deserving. I think they might have got their version of what Boston has in Ime Udoka. He had a lot of, you're hearing a lot of the same kind of stuff. He He's very professional. He doesn't yep. take, you know, a lot of stuff from the players. It's um, Now he's got a much harder job because uh, it's not a couple guys who have only been in the league for, four and five years uh, that he's going to you know, really go up against, but it's, it's, um, it is, it's still in a good position um, for, for the Lakers. I think too, LeBron came out and tweeted, um, I believe about uh, this hire and that he seems mm-hmm. to be happy with it. So that's already, if he's on board, you're already in a pretty good place. So yeah, I think the Lakers, you know, hit a home run with this one. I think they, they did really, really well here. Yeah. No, no complaints for me. Um, we've already heard good things too about the Lakers, not, 
and this I know this is good things, but this is standard for pretty much every team in the NBA, but not having front office personnel sit in on the head coaching meeting, looking over yeah. his shoulder, <laughs> Kurt Rambis, allowing him to pick his own head coach. Again, this is standard across the league, but it's stuff that the Lakers weren't allowing Frank Vogel to do. So allowing him to pick his own assistant coaches. And I think it's also key that we've already heard that, yeah, when we don't know who he's going to pick for his assistant coaches, but the goal is going to be to bring in people with head coaching experience. And I think that's that's important. Kind of, we saw uh, uh, the Nets do that with Steve Nash bringing in Mike D'Antoni on on the bench there for him. I think that's important too. So so far so good. And uh, I think this is this was the the right decision in this moment. And we'll see how it all plays out. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about Zion Zion Williamson. So his contract, uh, the Pelicans, and we've talked about this quite a bit already, Keith. The Pelicans sounds like they're going to be heading down that Joel Embiid path where they want to put some protections in for themselves because let's yep. face it, Zion hasn't played a whole lot of a lot of basketball um, despite looking fantastic when he does play. I think this makes all kinds of sense. I do wonder if there's going to be any pushback from Zion, but is there really much he could say? Like you haven't played a whole lot of basketball in the last in the last three seasons, so Zion, what? He doesn't really have any ground to stand on there in terms of trying to dogs making an appearance. <laughs> Dog cameo. That's the uh, the bigger of the two dogs. It's one of the perks of the front office here. show. Every once in a while, we get we get a dog cameo appearance. Um, People love it. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. Um, anyway, Zion. <laughs> Zion. Yeah, Zion Williamson. Um, and so I just did a podcast appearance on the In the Know podcast. And uh -huh. No, there is at No. Um, it's a New Orleans Pelicans podcast. Uh, Mason Ginsburg and uh, uh, um, Gosh uh, Shamit host that together. Um, and those guys are, are great and do a wonderful job uh, co covering the um, uh, you know the Pelicans. So we I had a lot of fun. Suddenly, Mason followed me on Twitter, <laughs> and I was like, "Why is there a Pelicans person following?" Like most Pelicans <laughs> people don't. Don't, yeah, you might not want to follow back. He's not it, always very nice to the Lakers. No, no, um, no Pelicans are, or Pelicans fans are. It's it's weird. This it's thing. one but of the things we bond over as Pelicans and Celtics fans. Is, <laughs> it's is, uh, it's you know, this weird dynamic. Like anyway, I, I, it's, that, it's yeah. a whole other rant that I would get in, and that would take us another yeah. 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I will avoid going down that road. Yeah. I'm going to say one quick thing. Is a complete outsider to this? That trade worked out great for both teams. It did. Like the Lakers got a championship out of it. Who knows what will come in the future? And the Pelicans got their future set up quite well. So mm -hmm. back to Zion Williamson. The only reason I brought that up is we spent a lot of time talking about Zion. I also wrote a whole piece for Spot Track. All you have to do is Google Keith Smith, Spot Track, Zion. It'll pop right up. You can find it. I'm all about his his uh contract options. And yeah, I mean the Embiid option is the way for them to go to protect themselves if they can. We'll see what his camp says. I, I, maybe you split the difference and it's, we'll give you the fifth year player option, but we need, we got to do the non guarantees on there too, um, which could free things up for Zion potentially. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I think that's, uh, they've been creative. Um, we're going to talk about another contract that they signed a little bit later in the show here. They don't have the player anymore, but they've been creative with uh, using options and, and uh, guaranteed language in the past. So, yeah, I, th I think there is a good chance that um, that's the way this goes. But we'll, we'll see. It's just be careful. You don't want to upset the player where now it finally seems sure. like all that noise has started to go away about him not wanting to be there and that kind of stuff. I also think that probably has gone away, quite frankly, because. I don't know if he feels like he has that kind of leverage to play that right now where he's Agreed. just coming off a fully missed season. 
Agreed. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a major factor here. So I think Zion is going to be receptive to seeing some portion of his contract non-guaranteed and you know some protections in there in terms of games played. So we'll see how, how it ultimately plays out. I think the Pelicans have to tread lightly, but I think they have a case here, a legitimate one. And I think Zion is going to be, I think Zion does want to stay, but he also has to understand that the franchise has to protect themselves. And again, I think the Pelicans are playing this, this perfectly if they are looking to do that because they absolutely need to. Um, from one new Lakers head coach to the last time the Lakers had a head coach that didn't have prior head coaching experience, Luke Walton. Uh, I was that was nice because you even had me. I was like, "This is a good tease" because I don't know where he's going. You didn't know where I was going. Well, I was so two of the Lakers' last three head coaches now have been first-time head coaches. Uh, from Luke Walton, then went to Frank Vogel, now went to to Darvin Ham. But uh, obviously, Luke Walton was brought in to do one job, and then the job completely changed, and they yep. got LeBron, <laughs> and every, everything shifted. So. Um, yep. I still think Luke Walton gets a little bit of a, of a bad rap, but he does land with the Cavs as, as an assistant coach. Um, I think he's a good coach. I think the situation around him with the Lakers changed. I don't think he did everything perfectly, but again, I do think he's a good coach, good communicator, and uh, excited that, that he, la- he landed with, uh, with Cleveland, where he actually spent a little bit of time playing back during his playing days. Yeah, and for the last decade and a half, I don't judge any coach really on anything that goes on in the Kings tenure for them uh, because I just think it's, you know, weird stuff happens in Sacramento for guys. Uh, excuse me, I have the hiccups. Um, I would say too, if you're Luke Walden, like I hope all that off-court stuff is done yes. and dealt with, whatever the situation is there, but clearly Cleveland feels comfortable about making this hire and I, I think he'll be a good assistant for J.B. Becker's staff. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Let's get into some of the juicy stuff here. Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report. Uh, says that the Jazz and Blazers both would like to land OG Ananobi, um, and that Ananobi could be potentially a big name out there. Also mentioned that Ananobi could fetch a higher price than Jeremy Grant, who has you know been widely rumored to be one of the players that'll be out there on the trade market. Was one of the players that was on the trade market at the trade deadline. The Pistons' asking price was reportedly two first-round picks or a young player on a rookie contract with some upside and a first-round pick. Obviously, that was not met because he stayed with the Detroit Pistons, but expected to be on the market again. And in OB, the Raptors could be asking for even more than that. The Jazz being a team that could want an overhaul. Are we? Could this be the landing spot for Rudy Gobert? The Raptors want a center. The Jazz have some motivation to blow this thing up to some degree and, and move forward. Could we see a deal featuring, not straight up, but Ananobi? and Rudy Gobert, some type of trade built around those two. We could. I don't think we will. Yeah. I don't think the, the Raptors necessarily want to go the Gobert route. I think they want a more versatile kind of inside-outside center if they can get it. I think a guy like Miles Turner would be a, a better fit for them if that's the direction they wanted to go because I just I, I just don't know that kind of going the, the go bear route is is what they want to do especially after uh you know years of um Marcus all and then uh, uh Jonas Valanciunas mm-hmm. as kind of their guys holding things down inside so so we'll see I the Ananobi stuff's interesting because there is uh some of Fisher's reporting is that there's been some some uh, 
talk around the league that he's not happy uh, with his role there. The Raptors apparently have not been told this, um, but you could maybe see it, right? Siakam, Van Vliet, those two guys have the ball a lot. And then Scotty Barnes came in, give him the ball quite a bit. And that takes Dan Anobi a little bit out of the offense. So I wonder with him is um, it, the Jeremy Grant stuff becomes really interesting too, because if you're Portland, right, that's been the landing spot for Grant for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I would personally, I'd rather have Ananobi. He's a better shooter. Um, I think they're very comparable defenders. I think Ananobi might even be a better defender. Um, and he seems, although I'm getting the sense now that maybe he doesn't want to be the fourth, fifth, sixth guy um, mm-hmm. for a team. I don't know that he needs to be the number one guy. And that seems to be the issue with Jeremy Grant. He wants to be, you know, the one or one A in an offense. And Ananobi's younger too. So, you know, g- give me Ananobi for all those reasons there. I still like Jeremy Grant, but I'd take Ananobi over him. But yeah, I my guess is not that happens with the Jazz part of this. Blazers, now eh, that's a little more interesting. I just don't know what Portland would give up. They're, they're kind of out of assets as far as uh, uh, trade ability goes. They, they, they don't have as much as they once did. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see ultimately who who goes for him there. I mean, that's like, what what do you do if you're the Blazers if you really want to get Ananobi? Like, it makes some sense, but we've also heard the Blazers as the landing spot for Zach Levine. Um, I, I like it's going to be everybody. Like, yeah, so. but they're yeah. more of a, a landing spot in in terms of going after a free agent, potentially freeing up some salaries and going after a guy who's hitting the market than a team that's even though they've got they got some stuff at the trade deadline i just don't think that's enough to go get like an ananobi or or a player like that i mean maybe you get into jeremy grant territory but i don't know they're going to be motivated the blazers are they're going to do everything they they can to find somebody but i mean here let's let's take a peek at this so the og ananobi contract um we can see 17 something yeah we can see where where it's at right now what what should teams be willing to give up for this deal? I mean, you've got what seventeen point three million next season, eighteen point six the following season, and then you've got a player option for almost twenty million the season after that. Three seasons for a young player who's twenty four. Yep. Next year will be his age twenty five season. So you're talking about a guy who's pretty much in his prime, and he's locked up, and you've got to figure out the 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 salary cap's going to go up. Like this is this is a good contract i think for a guy mm-hmm. like og ananobi the raptors should be able to get quite a bit here i don't know if it gets you quite to rudy gobert though if we're if we're going back to the jazz yeah. i don't i don't know if that's enough for for utah well and that's the challenge his salary is only half of gobert's so right. you're then you're having to talk about Gary throwing Trent. in other stuff and what would that other stuff be um you know from the raptors you can't really do it as a sign and trade because the jazz can't well, they're over the tax apron so they won't be able to take players back via sign and trade most likely so it gets really complicated how you even make the salary math um, work in a trade that involves those kind of guys as the the two major components because the raptors just have 
have to plus so much up in there. And I, and I just don't know if that's going to be enough. So that, that's where, where, where it's a struggle, but yeah, he's on a great contract for sure. Um, you know, if we go back to two, if, if, if I can just to jump yeah. back to Portland, um, real quick. So Portland has their own pick this year. Number seven, they would probably have to go to get in and sure. because after that, they only own their own pick if it's in the lottery for the next several years because they have that that pick with um, Chicago. And then they do get a pick from the Bucks in 2025 as long as it's somewhere between 5 and 30. That comes from the Pelicans uh, to complete the, um, the, the trade, the C.J. McCollum trade, after they didn't get the Pelicans pick this year. So that just becomes that much harder for them too. To, to to play in there without giving up that you know big uh big pick that that really becomes a challenge um this is gonna be that'll be interesting because I, I think that blazers pick is one that a lot of people see as potentially on the move mm-hmm. i don't know if it's going to be for ananobi but i think it's a piece that they ultimately will wind up trading in an attempt to get uh to get damian lillard a team that can win right now yes so I see that this is this is a move that potentially the Blazers can get in on, but you also have to look at cap wise. Are, are they able to bring back like Yusuf Nurkic? So here's the thing. That move. Yeah, here's the thing. They're sitting on a twenty point eight. So I want to be clear: twenty point eight, not twenty eight, but twenty point eight million dollar trade exception mm-hmm. from the McCollum trade. So. Ananobi easily fits with inside that. Um, a lot of guys do fit with inside that uh, trade exception. So then it becomes, all right, well, we're bringing in, you know, call it 17 to $20 million through the trade exception. Then, you know, we re-sign Nurkic. All of a sudden the team, Dan re-sign Anthony Simons, of course. All of a sudden that team starts to get pretty expensive pretty quickly. But they've, they've paid the tax in the past. The other complicating factors, they're in the middle of being sold. Mm-hmm. So we don't know where that's going to go either. There's just a lot of things to work around for the for the Blazers. The good news is they gave Joe Cronin the job of GM. They let him hire Mike Schmitz. Um, I can't think of the name right now, but they hired another assistant GM. Oh, yes. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to look it up because I want to get it because it's, it, it's just good to, to get those things. Um, but uh, Sir, Sergey Olivia. Um, so they, they brought him in as well. He's a well-known analytics uh, guy um, in the analytics community. So clearly they are committed to building up uh, this front office and letting them work. So hopefully anything to do with the tax doesn't really factor in. But, yeah, let's see. I mean, if nothing else, now we've got a little bit of intrigue around the, mm-hmm. the Raptors that maybe we didn't have you know, a couple weeks ago. Or yeah, another, ago. another name potentially out there on the market in OG Ananobi. Uh, you mentioned this contract earlier, Josh Hart. Yeah, uh, this is is an interesting one, and uh, what are we thinking on on Josh Hart? Will that contract yeah. be? So Jake Fisher's reporting in this whole big piece that he did, which is where a lot of our news is coming out of, says they're likely to guarantee that deal. That's probably not all that big of a surprise. What no. that does lean me more towards believing they're going to stay over the cap then, um, which makes sense because of the the presence of the McCollum trade exception that allows you to do a lot of the same things you would have done otherwise. Um, Then it gets really interesting though, because their last year, the 23-24 season, also 12.96 million. That's as close to what I like to call the major league baseball mutual player option, Mm -hmm. um, where it's, it is, a player option or mutual option, I should say. It's a player option, but it's also fully non-guaranteed. Yeah. 
So even if he opts in, it's then fully non-guaranteed. So it does become uh, one of those kind of interesting, fun things of, you know, right, you can opt in, but we're still going to waive you and get out of it for, for nothing. Uh, right. We rarely, rarely see those kind of deals uh, come to come to fruition like that in the NBA. But but it is kind of interesting. That's why I mentioned it when I was talking about Zion. Maybe give him the player option, but with the non-guaranteed year on the end, and everybody still kind of gets what they want both ways. Could you see a scenario where they they pick up the the option here on on Josh Hart? They guarantee that money and then ship him out in a trade. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you could go that way too. They could non guarantee or could guarantee that fully and then use that as part part of the trade. But they like him there. They, yeah, they think and they should. Fit, um, which I think, yeah, I think him, Simons, and Lillard. You have your three guard rotation to move forward with. Mm-hmm. Um, there were those three guys. All right, uh, let's talk Hornets. Mike D'Antoni, Kenny Atkinson, rumored to be the two finalists. Darvin Ham. This came out uh, would have been inter- actually today would have been interviewing with the Charlotte Hornets had he not taken the the Lakers job. Um, so the Lakers were able to to sneak in there and, and get Darvin Ham before the Hornets could do a final interview with him. Um, but Mike D'Antoni, Kenny Atkinson, interesting that Terry Stotts isn't part of this list. I thought he would be a nice fit for them. Um, could lead to some interesting discussions for the Lakers. We had heard that Terry Stotts did not want to be an assistant coach, uh, wouldn't be an option there, but there was also speculation that, you know what, if he doesn't get the Hornets job either, maybe that, that changes. Um, but that's a, a different topic here. Mike D'Antoni, Kenny Atkinson, the fun answer is Mike D'Antoni. Um, but now we're starting to hear that Kenny Atkinson might actually be kind of like in the lead for this, this job, at least in the, in the clubhouse, not necessarily with ownership. So what are your thoughts there between those two potential coaches? Very different, very different things that you'd be getting from each one. Yeah. It's D'Antoni is the, you're going to play up tempo. Uh Uh, It's probably, you know, LaMelo ball, not that he isn't already, but becomes even more must own in like fantasy basketball. Yeah. For fantasy basketball, D'Antoni there would be brilliant. Exactly. He's just going to pile up stats. Uh, they, they less likely that they would need to add a true big because he's probably going to go small. So that, you know, really starts to fit in. All right. Maybe, maybe they start running more of PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, Gordon Hayward, uh, Terry Rogier, and uh, the LaMelo ball all together. And there it is. There's your group. And you run with that quite a bit. Um, I worry about Hayward holding up because we know yeah. D'Antoni does not go deep into his bench. His starters are usually all among the minutes leaders. Uh, we Easy solution to that. Easy solution. Just reunite that? Mike D'Antoni with Russell Westbrook. There you <laughs> yeah. go. It's all good. It it's all good. You make sure Russ likes to sure. run fast. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. sure. Definitely. Yeah, you could definitely <laughs> do that, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that's the fun one. Then Atkinson comes in with the player development. Uh, you know, uh, bend to him a great guy who has helped uh, grow young teams into winners. And that's what the Hornets are. They're looking to go another step. They'd, they'd probably then be a little more traditional the way they build out their roster. They're probably looking to probably at that point, I'm guessing you keep Mason Plumley, you keep Kelly Oubre for another year and build it out that way. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's interesting. And it's, it sounds like they're waiting till, uh, Michael Jordan is back from from his uh, postseason vacation, which should be any time now to kind of complete this and get get it done. So my guess is this happens within the next couple of weeks and everything's in place well ahead of the draft. All right. Hornets have two picks in the draft, 13 and 15. So, you know, that's kind of important to have a coach there too. Could be a move up candidate too with those two. Could be. 
Yeah, because remember they drafted two guys last year, uh, James Booknight and Kai Jones, neither of whom was all that good. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that you want to bring two more young guys in on top of two guys last year on top of a roster that's already pretty young. What do you think is the highest pick they could get with those two? 13 and 15? Yeah. I don't know, like 10. 10 yeah, I was going to say, you're not, you're not moving up a lot. You're not moving – you're certainly – you're not moving in the top five or anything like that. But I wonder if you get – I mean, the Blazers wouldn't want to move it. It wouldn't make sense at seven, but be yeah. interesting. No, not that far. I wouldn't want to no. go up that far. Um, all right. The Knicks, they still want a point guard. But it sounded like they're, they're realizing that Donovan Mitchell is probably not going to be that guy. Jalen Brunson sounding more and more like he's going to stick – with the Dallas Mavericks, nothing set in stone. Of course, the Knicks would, would like to get a guard like a, like a Jalen Brunson, but um, with the lure being that he could be kind of the full-time guy there, but the Mavs, if you heard Mark Cuban already said that they can pay him more than anybody else, suggesting yep. that they probably will. And so it where, will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so where, so where does that leave the Knicks in, in terms of the, the point guard market? Yeah. I, where I hope it leaves them is not overreacting and doing something silly um, where you go out and, you know, use a bunch of trade capital to go get somebody who's not really all that good. Like uh, one of the guys Jake Fisher mentions could be maybe D'Angelo Russell. Um, I, I don't dislike D'Angelo Russell as a player. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure he's the guy for mm-hmm. this team necessarily. Um, Malcolm Brogdon's another name that's been thrown around. I'd like that one a little bit better. He comes a sure. little bit cheaper, um, you know, in terms of per year salary. I think his fits a little better because he can. He does really well playing off the ball. So I don't want to take the ball out of RJ. RJ, demand the Boston accent came out there big time. I went with the RJ. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to take it out of RJ Barrett's hands anymore. Who, who was the guy like ten years ago that yeah. fell in the draft? It was I think it was an RJ. Shooter landed with the Celtics. Oh, AJ Hunter. There you go. There you go. I knew. I knew there was a heavy accent with yeah, with that AJ one. Hunter. I couldn't remember the last name. It was the same year they drafted Terry Rozier, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's how I used to talk. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't want to take the ball out of Barrett's hands anymore. So another kind of traditional dominant on-ball point guard. I, I don't know because you know Julius Randle's going to have it plenty mm-hmm. um, there. So I. I I just, I don't know. Just don't be silly. They're talking about trading Emmanuel quickly. I know he didn't have the greatest year. His shot wasn't all that good this year, but I still think there's a lot of potential there. They're talking about trading the draft pick to maybe go get somebody. I don't know. Just, just don't stay patient. Don't, don't, yeah. don't shortcut this because we know how it goes when the Knicks try to try to take the shortcuts. It doesn't work out well. Do you really want to put D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randall back together? Uh, yeah, that's a good question too. Uh, yeah, but I mean, on the on the plus side, it's an expiring contract. Yeah. So your your commitment, if it doesn't work, you okay, you you move on. And if you could wipe away a couple of those salaries that maybe mm-hmm. carry a exactly. year longer, like if it was like Fournier in the deal or something, mm-hmm. then yeah, now you're in a spot where all right, that's not so bad because now we reset things a little bit. The fact that Russell's even been floated, that says to me. Yeah, let's see what the what the wolves are going to do. I know we're going to talk a Tim Connolly topic here in a second, but it is you know interesting because I think they're they're probably looking. Do we want to put Anthony Edwards at the two more, where he can really take advantage of his uh, uh, physical profile more so than when he has to play a lot at the three? So um, yeah, I, it, there's a lot of things going on with, with the wolves that bear watching as well. Let's jump to it, let's Tim Connolly. 
the Wolves, the details. So it was reported that there was a percentage of ownership stake here, which was surprising. That was the thing where I went, I mean, Denver can't match that. And so I didn't fault them much for, for letting him walk away. Now we're hearing that's not the case. So where are we at here with, with Tim Connolly and the, and the Wolves? Yeah, so it is 100% confirmed now that it is um, that he does not have ownership stake. Mark Stein's been on this for a few days mm-hmm. now, been reporting like that was not that, – that's not actually what it is. Uh, Mark Stein said it reported on Sunday that the oft-reported equity piece of Tim Connolly's new deal is actually a bonus based on the franchise value continuing to go up. And then Glenn Taylor confirmed that at – Connolly's introductory press conference today. So what happened is uh, when asked, Connolly was like, I don't want to get into the contract stuff. Not uncommon, right? Um, but then Glenn Taylor said, he's on a bonus program, just like a lot of people are. If the team does well, he does better. So so that that puts that to bed. No ownership stake for Tim Connolly. But if the value of the franchise goes up, then he gets more, basically, which which is why you could see that, okay, he gets a percent. You know what I mean? Like people could misconstrue sure. that. Why I yeah. can see where the wires could get crossed there. But it is an important uh, distinction because, yeah. again, it, to me, it just puts a little bit more on Denver where you're, where you're like saying, well, why didn't you yeah, try you to keep him then? That too. Yeah. I could see where if it, if it was ownership, like that was my one caveat there was yeah. like, hey, if it's ownership stake, I could see where Denver went, eh, sorry, we're, we're yeah. out. That's too rich. But absolutely, if that's out of it, I, I don't know. It, it puts yeah. a, it, it puts Denver in a little bit more bad light for not just yeah. spending to, to keep it. I agree. All right. Well, I think that about, we about it. does it. We did it. Had a lot to get through. We got <laughs> through it. Appreciate everybody for for joining us here and uh, and hanging out with us as we talk some NBA basketball. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm sure there's going to be plenty more going on between now and then. Oh boy, it's going to be a busy week, Keith. Going to be a busy week, and we're only heading into like once the finals end. We've been talking about this a bunch. It it just gets busier. This yep. is what we're getting into absolutely. Here, so so get ready, rest up as much as you possibly can, because <laughs> oh boy, it is it is going to get crazy for the next month and a half here, maybe even a yeah. little bit. More. Yeah, month month and a half, mid July. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Make sure you do subscribe. Don't forget to turn on those notifications over on Apple Podcasts as well. Follow us there. Make sure you give us that five-star rating and review. Great way to help out the show. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 